Welcome to Cordova Church in the Nazarene. Happy Pentecost Sunday. Happy Wit Sunday, if you are old English. Um, it, is, <laughs> it is good to be with you today. Uh, we're going to hear our, our opening psalm. So would you, um, <laughs> would you raise your eyes to the heavens as we hear these words this morning? Psalm 104. 25 through 32, English Standard Version. Here is the sea, great and wide, which teems with creatures innumerable, living things, both small and great. There go the ships and Leviathan, which you form to play in it. These all look to you to give them their food in due season. When you give it to them, they gather it up. When you open your hand, they are filled with good things. When you hide your face, they are dismayed. When you take away their breath, they die and return to their dust. When you send forth your spirit, they are created and you renew the face of the ground. May the glory of the Lord endure forever. May the Lord rejoice in his works, who looks on the earth and it trembles who touches the mountains, and they smoke. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. by the power of his name we've fallen deeper in love with you you burn the truth on our land a shout to the north and the south sing to the east and the west jesus is savior to all lord of heaven and earth rise up church with broken wings fill this place with songs again of our God 
Testament reading this morning, Ezekiel 11. All right, so Ezekiel 11, 17 to 20. Therefore say, thus says the Lord God, I will gather you from the peoples and assemble you out of the countries where you have been scattered, and I will give you the land of Israel. When they come there, they will, they will remove from it all the de detestable things and all its abominations. I will give them one heart and put a new spirit within them. I will remove the heart of stone from their flesh and give them a heart of flesh so that they may follow my statutes and keep my ordinances and obey them. Then they shall be my people and I will be their God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Shall we pray together? Lord our God, we come to you with great thanksgiving this morning for the gift of your son, for that first and final word of truth that he has spoken into our lives and into this world, that your grace has overcome even our worst sin and now draws us up back to you, restoring us, perfecting us to your intent, your design in us. We thank you, Lord, that it was your son who also sent the spirit, a new spirit upon us so that our hearts might once again be able to feel and experience your love and share it with our family, our friends, our neighbors, and the world around us. We give you thanks, Lord, for the gift of that same spirit that has overcome the barriers that we all have in trying to understand, to learn from, to form relationships with one another, most of all with you. Lord, we give you thanks that in being able to overcome those barriers, you have gathered us, you have united us all in your son to become the one true family that we are, your children, brothers and sisters of one another, and that you have allowed us to connect not only in our eternal life, but here and now as we gather in this time of worship. Lord, we give you thanks that through this very same spirit and through the promises of your son, you have told us that you will do greater things in us and through us than all the palaces, the pyramids, and the temples of stone that this world has to offer. Lord, as we continue in this same spirit of worship, to you, to the Son, Lord, who has given us everything, we just ask that you lift our hearts in this time of prayer, Lord, receive um, the cries of our hearts for those ways in which we have fallen short. Allow us, Lord, to live in the midst of your mercy, of your forgiveness, grace. Give us ears to hear and eyes to see the good news proclaimed, preached this morning. We pray this all in your Son's name. Amen. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they all were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now... There were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. 
and at this sound the multitude came together, and they were bewildered, because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galilean? How is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? Parthian and Medes, Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. All were amazed and perplexed, meaning, saying to one another, what does this mean? Well, even the five-year-olds who are likely running uh, like banshees around your living room right now um, know the story of Babel. They know that after the flood in Genesis 6 through 9, that the people gathered together and made a choice to build a tower. Um, the goal of the tower was really to bring God down. They said to themselves, let us make a name for ourselves so that we won't be scattered and divided. As if fame and knowledge was somehow a protection against those things. But really, they weren't so far off. If you talk to any church leader or community leader, they'll tell you that if you're able to get people together behind some sort of project, whether it's a building project or fundraising goal, that it galvanizes people, that it enables people to come together as one and to be, to uni be unified and to have a common mission. Really, it helps them forget that they had disagreements and avoid the hard work of building peace. The problem is these things work until they stop. They work until they don't. And then when they don't, you have a building that's maybe half completed or hopefully all the way completed, but you've still got debt to pay off and, that, and a name to live up to. The people who were at work on the city and the Tower of Babel were united with one another, galvanized, brought together, made one, but divided against God. They had created a competitive environment with God, believing that God was something other than themselves to bring down into their place so that they could control and own. I wonder if you've ever tried so hard at something. If you've ever thrown yourself completely into some project. Maybe it was to make a name for, its, for yourself. Maybe it was to build up your community. Maybe it was building friendships with somebody who you wanted to know and thought could be good for you. Or maybe it was trying to connect with your neighbors or build a business. And no matter how much effort you put into this thing, no matter how much you tried, no matter how much you work, it just ends up like a sandcastle, melting, falling apart, dividing, 
scattering, disuniting. Maybe it's even your own family. The relationships you pour yourself into trying to save simply don't end up working. Well, we are convinced of one thing, which is that God will redeem. God will restore His creation. God is committed to and is insistent on His creation returning to Him whole. But when it happens, it's going to happen to His glory and not to the glory of those who decide to make a name for themselves. You see it throughout the Old Testament as Israel tries and fails oftentimes to build a name for themselves, thinking that they're doing it for God's sake, but discovering that they've really only done it for themselves. The Temple of Solomon becomes this very sort of divided thing where on the one hand, yes, it's wonderful, it's good, it's this well-known place that everybody comes to worship the Lord, and yet somehow that temple is a little bit more about Solomon than it is about God. The temple that Jesus worshipped in in his day wasn't built by Solomon. It was actually built by Herod centuries later. And that, that temple really becomes not so much assigned to the Lord as it is assigned to the people who built it, the greatness of their architects, the greatness of their engineers, their ability to put together this amazing building that reminds people sort of vaguely of God, but really it's about those who built it. Now, it doesn't mean that these things are all bad. People still come together and gather in Jerusalem. We saw in the Acts reading people gathering together from all over the known world. Jews who had scattered across the Roman Empire would make their way back to Jerusalem for those major feasts. And when they did, they came from everywhere. They came from so far-flung places that many of them did not even speak the Aramaic that would have been known in Galilee. They were speaking Greek. They were speaking Phrygian, Cappadocian, any of the languages that would have been present where they lived. But they gathered in Jerusalem to speak not their own language, but instead to speak the language of prayer. To speak the language of the Psalms. The words of the prayers that had been given in the Old Testament and even all the way back to Sinai to repeat those same words. To take their human mouths and to allow God's word to fill them. When these men who have been following Jesus, and on some level probably felt like their whole lives had fallen apart 50 days, 52, 53 days before when Jesus was crucified. They instead have had their lives brought back to life as they encountered the risen Christ and lived for a little while with him for those 40 days when he would appear to them. But then at that moment when Jesus ascended into heaven and said, but wait for me, I will send you a counselor, a helper. They gathered and waited in prayer, in hope, in expectation for what God 
would do, that, that God was going to build more than just another building that would crumble and fall. The people in the streets who hear these men as they come out to preach, who hear the men and the women that are prophesying in that room, who hear the tongues that come out of that space and out of that first church, they have questions. They ask, aren't these all Galileans? Aren't they all from the northern part of Israel where they speak Aramaic and not all of our languages? If so, then how do we hear them in our native tongues? How is it that I hear the same tongue that my mother spoke to me over my crib right now? How is it that I hear the language that I learned in school, the language that I learned out on the streets, the language that I used to play with my friends? How is it that I'm hearing God's words spoken to me in those words? Finally, what does it all mean? See, the thing about the people who gathered to hear the disciples that day, yes, God had broken that sort of Babel barrier of speech, but they still had Babel ears. Even though they could understand the words, they weren't able to process the truth. And I'm wondering, maybe for you, do you have babble ears still this morning? Are you expectant that God is going to pierce through any human scattering and division that you've experienced, that he's going to come into the space where you are right now, into that space of your heart, into that space of your life, and speak truth and speak hope and speak peace. And as he does so, raise you up to new life. If not, I hope that you'll confess your need for new ears. Would you continue to sing with us this morning? Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long, and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. But the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. And greater works than these he will do, because I am going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper, to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be with you. Word of the Lord. spirit speaks it moves in me and 
awakened to your love. You're drawing me onto my knees, and I'm astounded by your love. Because you spoke life into my lungs. You are the air I breathe. You are the air I breathe. Still you move inside of me. You are the song I sing. You are the song I sing. You cover me with arms that reach, and I'm amazed by your sweet grace. You set me.
we know Pentecost as the day the Spirit rushed down and filled those believers in the upper room in Jerusalem, enabling them to preach, beginning the church. It filled those believers in that room with the Spirit, not only coming through the room, but and not only kind of putting flames of fire on each one of them, little tongues of fire, the Scripture says, but filling them with something new. Filling them with something that apparently they had not experienced before. And at that moment, this was the church. In all of the world, these, this, in that one place, was the only church. I wonder how you've thought about church. I wonder if church has been for you kind of this cultural center. For a lot of us, it is. We're looking for some place that's going to reflect our values. We look into ourselves. We say, this is what I believe and think about the world. I want to see some place that that is reflected on the outside. So we either find or build that place. For some of us, church is kind of social. It's the place that we build connections with one another. It's the place that we go, I need friends. Human beings need friends. And you're right, we do. And so we go to church thinking, this is going to be a community for me that's going to be able to create those kinds of friendships and connections. For some of us, church is a place where we want to build the kind of world that we want to see. It becomes a utopia, this society as it should be. Where we can go and we can work in miniature what we want to see happen at a larger scale. And yet all of these ways of looking at it really make the church into a project. And anytime we, we dive into a project, even though there may be good in it, and there's good in all of those things, there's parts of all of those things that should be taking place in the church, but anytime we make the church into that project, we just have sandcastles. Stacks of something that will not last, that's going to crumble when the tide rolls in. And here's the difference, I think. None of those definitions of church actually require the Holy Spirit. None of them require God. They just require a building and a group of like-minded people. And so does... Your definition, does your expectation of the church today require the Holy Spirit to show up? I think if the answer is no, then Babel is going to be the result. Sandcastles are going to be what will come out of that. Because the church, the true church, the church that God has built in the church of Jesus Christ is not a fragile place. It's not a fragile entity. It's not something that's teetering on the brink of existence. It's not something that needs us to come in and apply force to make it work. Well, the church of Jesus Christ is a gift of the Holy Spirit to which we apply ourselves because God is gracious to include us. But it's not fragile. It's not going to fall apart because the financing doesn't come through. It's not going to fall apart 
because of one or two or ten or a thousand bad leaders who leave in the middle of a project or commit some unspeakable sin. The church is not fragile and it's not going to fall apart because of stay-at-home orders or the intervention, right or wrong, of our temporal authorities. The church of Jesus Christ, because God is insistent on restoring his creation, the church itself is resilient. And it will not fade. Remember what was happening in Jerusalem in that temple as people came together to worship. Well, the same thing. That temple is long gone, almost 2,000 years ago now. But the same thing happens in churches today. Human beings come together with all that they are, including their mouths. And in our mouths, we take up the word of God. We take it up in the scriptures. We take it up in the prayers. We take it up in this meal that we eat. This cluster of believers gathered together who they didn't really have much going for them as they were gathered together in that upper room. They had the memory of Jesus and they had the promises of Jesus, but that was it. And out of that memory and that promises, God wanted to unite them more. He wanted to bring them more deeply and more fully together. So he didn't just leave them with memory and promises. He actually sent his spirit, his presence, his self. We've got to guard against thinking that the spirit is somehow less God than Jesus or less God than the Father. The spirit is God. And it's in that sense that God comes among his people, that he insists on restoring all of creation, beginning with his church. It's those people who become more, who, just as the Spirit came on Jesus' body as he's baptized in the Jordan River, and God says, this is my son whom I love. So the Spirit falls on this new body of Christ. It's like Peter says in his epistle that you are living stones, not dead bricks and sand from the desert of Babel. But notice how it is that they get to that point. Jesus commissions them. He gives them their marching orders when he is at that mount ready to ascend to his father, but what is it that he actually tells them to do? Go and wait. Go to Jerusalem and wait for me. Wait for me to send the helper. Wait for me to send the counselor. Because you're not going to be able to do what I'm going to ask you to do. You're not going to be able to do it alone. And I want to go back to Jesus' words in John 14. In this long, wonderful, beautiful speech, prayer that he offers to his disciples right before his death. He says to them, And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. What is it that Jesus empowers 
enables and calls his people to do. He calls them, he calls us to speak the truth. But not only to speak the truth, not only to have the right facts and the figures and correct opinions and hot takes, not just to be somebody who stands up and says, this is what I know is right, and therefore because I know it's right, you need to fall in line. No, he empowers us and enables us to speak the truth, but to do it truthfully. Because it's possible to speak true words and have a false heart. It's possible to have words come out of your mouth that are correct, but have your heart be wrong and false. Have your actions not match up. So he empowers his people to speak the truth, but to do it truthfully. Jesus knows, God knows, and the church knows that truth is not a thing. Right? Truth is not a dead thing for us to hold up. But we find in John's gospel in chapter 18, Jesus stands before Pilate. He's on trial. Pilate says to him, so you are king? Jesus answered, you say that I'm king. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I've come into the world, to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Pilate said to him, what is truth? Pilate can't handle it. Because you see, truth is not something that Pilate can grab onto. It's not something he can control. He's a politician. It's not something he can spin. Truth is a person. And that person was standing right in front of him, offering Pilate a way into the life of God. But he rejected it and walked away, handing Jesus over to those who would kill him. Truth is a person. But God does not leave us alone in our falsehood, in our attempts to build towers. Instead, God actually, instead of us bringing God down, God comes to us in the form of truth made tangible, truth made audible, truth even made edible. And that truth is Jesus Christ, who we can touch, who we can hear, and who in this meal, we can, whose life we can share in. That truth ultimately brings us into the love of Christ and enables us not only to speak love, but to do it lovingly. It enables us not only to speak peace into the world, but to do it peacefully, where we, because we are the body of Christ, actually embody and enable people to come into that life. And so I go back to those original questions, those men who are and women who are gathered in the streets looking up at the apostles, the disciples, as they preach the word of God and as they hear it in their native tongues and the questions that they began to ask. Who are these men? Who are these people on whom the spirit of God has fallen? Well, that's the answer. They are the people on whom the spirit has fallen. They are the church. They are you and they are me. As we come under the Spirit, we are enfolded into that same life, into that same hope, into that same truth, into that same Spirit. They ask the question, how do they speak our language? 
even though they're just Galileans separated by time and culture and space. And we might ask the same thing as we read these words and it's like they're burning in our hearts and in our minds. How, does it, how is it that this book that's thousands of years old speaks our language, that it speaks to me? How is it that it seems the Spirit actually sees and knows me where I am? How is it that God speaks my life? Friends, truth was not actually broken at Babel. When the people were divided, when the people were scattered, truth itself was not damaged. When you in your life have been broken and scattered and divided, when you have failed, when your life has fallen apart like sandcastles in the waves, truth itself has not been broken. And so you've got a way to open yourself up to just proclaim that, yes, I am broken, and yes, I need that truth if I'm going to come into restoration. If I'm going to come into the hope that God insists on bringing in this world. We asked that last question that the people in the streets asked. What does it mean? Friends, it means there's a home for you here. Many in those streets eventually listened to Peter's sermon and were converted and were baptized and they came into the family, into the people of God. And the same is true today. That if you're hungering, if, if you are thirsting, if you need the righteousness of God to make you whole, there's a home for you here. There's a home for you in Christ's church. There's a home for you among Christ's people. There's a home that will embrace you truthfully. That will embrace you with love. That will restore and reconcile the broken parts of your life. Not because we're so great, not because we've built some project worth emulating, but because God has promised in his spirit to be with us. To dwell with us. To make his home with us. If you've never done that before, or if you're in a place where you know that that's what you need, I, I want to just ask that you'd be honest about that fact. That you would be clear about what it is that you need. About the brokenness in your heart, the brokenness in your life. And that you would pray with me. Lord Jesus Christ, I know that in myself I am false. I know that I need not only you, but I need the spirit of truth. So would you come into my life? Would you fill me? Would you make me new? Would you make me whole? Lord, I want to give up my projects. I want to surrender my desire to build my life into something that is worth looking at. And instead, I put it at your feet. Be the Lord, be the Savior of my life. Amen.
But not only that, God has actually called us into a fullness, into a richness. You might say into a, into a perfection, a completion of that spirit. And so there might be some of you who have sat around and heard words like this. You've heard sermons and you've, you've said, yes, I want to be a part of it, but I'm not sure I want that part of me to be a part of it. And I still kind of like that darker part of me that I want to hang on to. And I want you to know that God is actually inviting you into what we call sanctification, into being made holy, into being made a saint. God is inviting you into this total and complete devotion to Him. And it doesn't matter where you are in your life. It's never too late if you want to turn yourself into His light. And i got to be honest with you. God's a little like a campfire. Stay far enough away, it's warm, and it gives light in the darkness. You get too close and it starts to burn. And there will be moments that are painful as God burns out dead parts of your life. But the truth is, is this is exactly what you were made for. You were made to live a holy life in Christ. You were made to be exposed to the light of his truth. You are made to be reconciled to those close to you and to all of creation through the peace that comes in our crucified and risen Lord. If that's you today, would you pray with me? Lord Jesus Christ. My heart is breaking because although I know you, I don't know you the way that I should. And I've kept back parts for myself out of fear. I've kept back parts of who I am, worried, Lord, about what might happen to me. And so, God, would you take and renew and restore this broken heart? Would you sanctify me and make me holy, make me your own, so that there's nothing left in me that doesn't belong to you? Take, Lord, especially that one part of my life that keeps trying to turn away, that keeps trying to work on itself as though I can make a name for myself. Lord, humble me and speak truthfully to me and about me, we pray in Christ's name. Almighty God, on this day you opened the way of eternal life to every race and nation by the promised gift of your Holy Spirit. Would you shed abroad this gift throughout the world by the preaching of the gospel that it may reach to the ends of the earth through Jesus Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, one God forever and ever. Amen. Would you come and meet our risen Lord at the table today? The Communion Supper instituted by our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, is a sacrament, and also a testament to that joyful word of truth, which proclaims his life, his sufferings, his sacrificial death, and his resurrection, and the hope of his coming again. It shows forth the Lord's death until his return. The supper is a means of grace in which Christ is present by the Spirit, 
It is to be received in reverent appreciation and gratefulness for the work of Christ. Let all those who are truly repentant, forsaking their sins in the castles that we build upon the sand, and instead believing in Christ for salvation and making a home upon the rock, come participate in the death and the resurrection of Christ. We come to the table that we may be renewed in life and salvation and made one by the same spirit that fell upon the apostles and now remains with us evermore. Shall we pray together? Holy God, we gather at this your table in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, who by your spirit was anointed to preach good news to the poor, proclaim release to the captive, set at liberty those who are oppressed. Christ healed the sick, he fed the hungry, he ate with sinners and established the new covenant, for the forgiveness of sin. We live in the hope of his coming again. On the night on which he was betrayed, he took the bread. And after he had given thanks to you, he broke it. And he gave it to all of his disciples, saying, Take, eat. This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, after supper, he took the cup. And after he had given thanks, to you, he gave it to all of his disciples, saying, Drink this, all of you. This is the blood of the new covenant, which was shed for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this in remembrance of me. Therefore, we proclaim the mystery of our faith, that Christ has died, Christ has risen, and Christ will come again. And so we gather as the body of Christ to offer ourselves to you in praise and thanksgiving. Pour out your Holy Spirit on us, and all, all of these your gifts. Make them by the power of your eternal spirit to be for us the body and blood of Christ, that we might be for the world the body of Christ, redeemed by his blood. By your spirit, make us one in Christ, one with each other, one in the ministry of Christ to all the world until Christ comes in final victory. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and now, as our Savior Christ has taught us, shall we pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. These are the gifts that God gives to God's people. This is the body and the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ, which has been given for the church for now and forevermore. Spirit of the living God, fall fresh on me. Spirit of the living God, fall fresh on me.
I found all that I want, all that I long for in you. I found all that I want, all that I long for in you. And wasted time is when I'm far from your truth. I found all that I want, all that I long for in you. Spirit of the living God, fall fresh on me. Spirit of the living God, fall fresh on me. Melt me, mold me, fill me, use me. Spirit of the living God, fall fresh on me. I found all that I want. Thank you for worshiping with us today. Um, it has been so good to be with you. It's good to be together with each other. Uh, but again, we look forward to the the visible, uh, visceral regathering of the body of Christ. Um, and uh, in the meantime, don't be a stranger. Find a way to reach out, uh, whether on Facebook or over email. Um, but please, we want to stay connected during this time. And I know it takes more effort, but I really believe that even though we put out a little bit more effort, it's, it's more worth it when we do. So with that knowledge and with that hope that I'll get to see or hear from you soon, may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, and the fellowship of the Spirit be with you all. Go in peace.